It's Friday the 5th of May. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, heat records broken in Europe, Asia and the ocean, and Michael D. Higgins takes on Economist. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn. And it's good to be back after a short break that turned into a slightly longer break. Uh, We were initially meant to be gone for two weeks, but I think it's been about four weeks. But it's absolutely great to be back and especially lovely to be back with Kira Daly and Anna Pringle. How are you both doing? We're all good, Dara. Ready to talk about the climate. (laughs) (laughs) Is this going to be a singing episode, Kira? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not for me. I just, just to just just to make sure that everybody's reassured it's not going to be singing from me. Um me neither. Um but we had so we finished up uh, before our break with an episode on the psychology of climate change with Owen Gallivan and there was great feedback on that. So thanks for all the responses we got to that and we'll hope to do something similar again in the future. Just before we dive into the episode, a reminder that if you like what we're doing with the podcast, you can sponsor us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. And that really helps us with the upkeeping costs of the podcast. Yeah, and shout out to Anya, who bought us 12 coffees. That's quite a few. Wow. And, uh, and then it's someone who didn't give their name, but said, keep up the great work and bought us some coffee. So it's always nice to see that. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Great. All right. With that, let's dive into our news stories. And I kind of feel that whenever we've taken a break and we come back to the podcast, we always seem to start with a story about extreme weather. um, Mm. And this episode is no different. So I think often we can maybe get a bit bogged down in policy or government or emissions or fossil fuel companies not doing enough. But I think it's really good um, to just look at the extreme weather, look at the climate impacts and really remember why we're all trying to take action and what we're trying to prevent and what's already happening around the world when it comes to extreme weather. And unfortunately, we have seen some crazy extreme weather in April across the world. So we'll talk about it all in depth. But to give you the quick headlines in the last month or month and a half, the ocean global average sea temperature hit a new record high last month. There has been extreme heat in Europe with April temperature records being broken. Um, Mainland Spain had its hottest ever April day of 38.8 degrees in Cordoba and Portugal reached 36.9 degrees. There have also been April temperature records recorded in Thailand, Myanmar, Laos, Vietnam and China. And it looks like this is just the beginning of extreme weather for 2023 because the UNWMO, the World Meteorological Association or Organization, has said that there is an 80% chance that the El Nino weather phenomenon will have begun by the end of September. So that is the head they're the headline statements of the last six weeks in extreme heat around the world. It's good to be back. Well, that all sounds like fun. <laughs> you know, it's, it just really strikes me how little coverage we get of all of those. I mean, yeah. you'll get Europe mentioned from time to time, but I'm not sure that the the heat wave in Southeast Asia has been covered here much at all. No, I googled it this morning and I just put in Southeast Asia 
um, record temperatures and an article from 2022 came up. So I had to go back and specifically put in like really big keywords to get the Guardian article up about it, which I was like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing, like the fact there's no coverage. Once you hear it all together, you're like, oh, wow, that is... That is fairly mad, and you can start and you can start to join the dots. And unfortunately, it's becoming easier and easier to join the dots. But because we're just kind of hearing of these things in passing, and then you know it's been a pretty cold March, April in Ireland. So you know, mm-hmm. if you want to really, you know, be pedantic about it or or not look at the bigger picture, it's easy to say, well, sure, yeah, it was hot there, but sure, it's fairly fairly cool here. Um, so you but, know, but it's just, ju- but Dara, what would you say to the people who say it's just weather? That's not climate change. Weather always happens. You always have extreme weather. Yeah, so it's just the patterns, isn't it? It's just the fact that um, we're seeing more and more um, temperature records being broken and also just higher averages. And I think, it. you know, I was just thinking about this yesterday or the day before that seeing temperature records being broken is now the new normal for us and we've come to mm-hmm. accept it. Um, and it's so unusual. You know, it's yeah. so unusual. Like if you were seeing records being broken, a sporting analogy coming up, warning guys. You know, if you were seeing uh, records... <laughs> like Haaland const- last night. <laughs> what was that? Like Haaland last night broke a record? Yeah. Okay. So let's say in athletics or something, if you were seeing records constantly being broken, you'd be like, okay, there's something dodgy going on here. Athletes are probably on drugs. And that's exactly what the story is with... Actually, it's the other way around in athletics, Dara. If there's a record that's stood for years, it's because they were on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not a good analogy but, <laughs> but you know what I mean though if if there was like constant constant yeah. like well it's like okay so let me use a sports analogy it's like Haaland breaking the scoring record in the premiership last night if if that record had been set the week before by someone else then that would be astounding I mean it's astounding that he broke it but that record that he broke has gone is like all of history, the last time that, I mean, the last time the record was broken was, I don't know, years ago. Whereas what's happening with the temperatures now is that new record-breaking temperatures are, the re- they're breaking a record that was set last month or last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's constant, the records are constantly falling very, very quickly. And it's not just that, like, these numbers are getting higher and higher. There's obviously, like, an impact that it's having on the planet and people. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. And I think in terms of Europe, um, what we're seeing, and this is, you know, like you were saying about not seeing, not hearing about it all too often. Uh, there was a really good report on Channel 4 about kind of the drought in Europe at the moment. Spain, the last 36 months in Spain have had below average rainfall. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has contributed to low water levels in rivers. The largest river in Italy, the Po, is already as low now as it was at the end of last summer. The Alps have half their level of snow uh, compared to this time last year. So that's normally where the water will come from for a lot of rivers in um, Spain, Italy, or sorry, not Spain, Italy, France, um, Switzerland, etc. And we've seen wildfire crews on high alert in Portugal already and similar in France um so yeah that that's Europe and we're you know we're only we're not even into summer yet um and thinking that's about That's only Europe. That's <laughs> what I'd say there's more of this going on at, like in all yeah, regions. Yeah so let's will be will be <laughs> will we keep going uh, then. But ju- just to mention <laughs> Spain just to mention Spain for a second um a lot of Europe's 
fruit and vegetables come from Spain. So um, there's a lot of concern that harvests will be really badly affected by the drought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, yeah, that for me, that is always the scary thing about all this, you know, in terms of like, oh, you know, we're grand in Ireland, you know, we fairly... Fairly moderate we've, climate. We've got sure. plenty of water. Yeah. So yeah. wouldn't it be great if we got a bit more sun? Um, but we get 80% of our food from overseas. <laughs> so, you but know, hang it's not on. Aren't we feeding the planet? Um, can we not, can we not let's make up not for go down that route this morning? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, but, you know, 80% of our food is imported. So we're highly, highly reliant on, on a stable climate in Europe and in the wider world. Um, so even if the climate was totally fine here and there were no extreme impacts, we're still going to be affected, um, by rising food prices at the very least. Um, yeah. Which is a privilege in and of itself for that to be our biggest issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Which is like such a crazy thing to be saying, but like that's Mm. the reality of it. Um, and so then across uh, across Asia, um, there have been loads of record temperatures being recorded. So Myanmar hit 43 degrees, Thailand hit 42 degrees with the humidity on Saturday made it feel like 54 degrees. Oh my God, that's unreal. Um, mm-hmm. And Laos set an all new, a new all time record of 42.7 degrees. Um, and that was, that has been an extended, you know, almost all of April, there was a heat wave in a lot of parts of, um, of Southeast Asia. Uh, So by the way, that means you've got hundreds of millions of people affected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last, (laughs) well, the kind of last (laughs) two things then is the, the sea surface temperature record has been broken. Um, so the ocean sea surface temperature is the hottest that it has ever been. So it seems like April is the warmest month because I guess that's sort of at the end of summer in the Southern Hemisphere, which has more ocean than the Northern Hemisphere would. Um, and this year it has smashed through the previous record. The previous record was 2016, which was the last El Nino year. And as I mentioned in the sort of intro at the start, it looks like we're heading back into an El Nino year this year. Oh, can I just say this ocean warming is one of those headlines that I look at and go, I can't bear to read this because the oceans have been saving us from climate change. They've been absorbing so much heat and, and scientists are really, really worried about this because it's a very dramatic increase in temperature and if you know, if the oceans start to fail, we're so fucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, that's that's my moment of gloom. No, no, no. It's to, it's to, it's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, it's and allowed. It, it is one of those things that yeah, when when I see it, it does freak me out because basically, you know, there are ocean currents and then sort of complementary, um, you know, jet streams or or wind patterns that basically regulate the whole global climate. Um, And as the ocean patterns change, uh, 
it you know it can have sort of sudden rapid impacts that we are not prepared for what you said anna about about the oceans have been saving us the oceans have been absorbing a lot of the world's excess co2 but also a lot of the world's heat and actually what happens during el nino is um it basically causes they don't know why but the surface winds change um the surface winds change uh across parts of the pacific and basically what happens is when the winds change a certain way it causes more ocean disturbance and causes more of that stored heat in the ocean that's in the deep ocean to rise to the surface causing warmer ocean surface temperatures which then causes um which then causes you know a warmer a warmer climate and has extreme impacts around the world so it's exactly it's exactly what you were saying that the ocean has gotten us off the hook and in some ways it's when El Nino comes along that some of that trapped ocean heat comes to the surface and has impacts on the climate. And that can lead to more extreme weather, sea level rise, um, more CO2 in the atmosphere because the oceans can't absorb it when yeah. they're so warm. Yeah. Um, and, and then apart from all that, marine life is likely to be devastated by it as well because that, that hotter ocean is harder for marine life to exist in so there's all of those implications are massive yeah yeah and to say that so there's it's this whole thing is known as the el nino southern oscillation and it's patterns of about it's a three to seven year pattern and there's sort of the neutral phase where temperatures and winds surface pressure etc all that and at average um there's El Nino, or there's El Nino where that's the warm phase where it's all above average and there's La Nina where that's the cold phase where it's below average and we're just coming out of uh, three years of La Nina so we've actually had the cooler phase of that for the last three years and so that seems to have actually masked a lot of global warming that has gone on in the last three years now that La Nina is over we're seeing these increases and then if El Nino hits by the end of this year, we're likely to see further increases. Um, yeah, so feels that good. Yeah, more more extreme, more extreme weather ahead. It feels. I googled this morning because I was like, "Oh God, we've done these stories," <laughs> and I was like, "What's the benefit of keeping up to date with the news?" <laughs> I asked Google <laughs> and the answer was actually delightfully simple and helpful. It was just saying that it helps us to to keep informed so that we can take action on important issues. And like, it's very hard for me to marry what the hell I'm going to do about the weather. But then I remembered, I don't need to know. I like, I don't, you guys are brilliant for remembering all of these details and understanding how it all works. That's just not my thing. But I don't, it doesn't need to be my thing. What I need to use this information as is a reminder around the times when the IPC report, IPCC reports and all of those things come out. And I'm like, ah, because, and then I'm looking around and everyone else is just like drinking coffee, going for a walk, <laughs> being calm. And I'm like, am I, am I imagining this? And then I remember all of these events 
are happening. They're just not being reported. So in that, I have found peace in all of this absolute insanity and rampage that is happening around the earth today at this very moment. So that was my TED Talk for anyone who <laughs> was wondering, Wait, why the I, hell am I listening to this this morning? And so how have you, where have you found the peace? Oh, just in this insanity of it all. At least okay. it's, you know, at least I'm not imagining it. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of surreal. That's quite low bar, isn't it? At least it's yeah. not, at least it's not in my head. Um, but no, I agree with you. I agree with you, Kira, that, you know, if you are trying to take action, if you are trying to make a difference, it is good to know the stuff that's going on. It is good to know, you know, things are bad, things are urgent, um, and we need to try and make this all as le- as as no or yeah we need to try and make this all not get any worse or get the least more worse that it can <laughs> <laughs> the least There's, more worse it's worse than far better as i used to say in any goal um all right let's move on then to the next story anna you're going to lead us in this one Yeah, so this is a story about our president, Michael D. Higgins, um, who made a big speech last week at the Aris, which ended up ruffling a lot of feathers locally. Um, And it's very related to what we were just talking about, because Michael D., who has been really an outstanding commentator on um, climate change, he talks about the ecological catastrophe that we're now facing, but he, in his speech, he criticised sort of traditional economics and the economic system that we live in and, you know, talked about how a lot of economists are stuck in a growth narrative and that that's contradictory and that eternal growth precipitates the destruction of everything. So a lot of what we were just talking about in terms of the weather impact is because of economic growth. Um, so Michael D gave a long and very learned speech about our obsession, what he calls our obsession with economic expansion and really talked about how we need to we need to really look at that and we need to say that there are limits to our resiliency, there are limits to the world's natural resources and then he said we need to acknowledge the role that unrestrained greed, largely unaccountable, has played in creating the climate crisis. And, you know, so it was just a very powerful speech. He criticised traditional economics and the way it's being taught. He talked about, he, you know, he had a hopeful picture at the end where he talked about it's time to invest in our connection with nature and to achieve a more sustainable, fulfilling and healthy world. Um, and then he posed kind of the philosophical question of how are we to be in the world? How should we seek to be? And it's all about really thinking about what do we want to be? What do we want to be known for? And what are we doing to the planet in the process of how we are living today? So it was really a very thoughtful and, as always with him, well-written, measured speech. Mm-hmm. And all the reaction was from bloody economists complaining that he knows nothing about economics. Um, yeah, I see the headline here is Economists Round on President Over Lazy and Uninformed Spiel. Yeah. Oh, they, they all went, oh, you know, he's out of date. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not an economist. Um, yeah, let's see how we get on. Jim Power, who was the economist at um, 
Davy stockbrokers for years. I'm not sure if he's still there. He said, oh, give us a decade of zero growth and let's see how that works out. We have to have growth. Um, so, you know, and then people said, oh, his speech is impenetrable. You know, somebody very nasty said, you know, if you're going to make a criticism, make it comprehensible to people. Yeah, and I think, yeah. you know, for me, I think it's very easy to make it comprehensible yeah. to people. We're putting ourselves on course for an unlivable planet. Um, we have lost huge amounts of our nature, of our wildlife, of our species. And alongside that, there is massive inequality in the world. There is a whole generation unable to buy housing in Ireland. Our healthcare system, our education system are all struggling. So call it the economic system, call it whatever system you want. It isn't working. Um, and I don't think that's a difficult thing to see. I think it's quite an obvious thing to see and an easy thing to understand. Maybe a hard thing to accept, but it's it's quite simple, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, it's Michael D. So he's a he's he writes speeches that are thoughtful and well argued. And I mean, I read it. I found it very un easy to understand. Um, but is it long? He doesn't give you sound bites. You know, it's so it's it's a long speech that's well thought out. But I mean, what's hard to understand about him saying politics must be redefined so that it becomes earth focused rather than national focused? That's Why do you think there's such a negative reaction from them? Because it's basically saying, you know, to, I guess it's very confronting for people that if they yeah. have invested their whole life in a certain worldview that is just yeah. being like challenged on all fronts, including by physical reality, then uh, you might get your back up. Yeah. Yeah. And he's challenging not just economics, but also our entire political system and how we do things and neoliberalism and so on. So so he's really putting out a challenge to everyone in government mm. and in economics. And they didn't respond very well, I'd have to say. Yeah. Is it not really more so? I mean, this is such an ignorant thing for me to say because I didn't read the whole thing. But from what I have heard about the commentary and what I know of how he usually you know, the talks that he usually delivers, is it not more so a commentary on, like, society and how economy fits, how our current economic system is, like, shaping that society versus... Because last night I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about it and they were like, he's just word salad. He's and the criticism was that he's talking about growth, that we need to get rid of growth, but then he's talking about growth in other areas. And I was like... I feel like you're just trying to trip him up on his words. That it's more like what he's saying is more nuanced than that. And actually, he's really explaining that nuance really well and clearly. And you're just kind of trying to pick holes in it rather than understand what he's saying. Yeah, is that no, you're, fair you're, to say? no, yeah, you're exactly right. And he's and and as Dara said, he he links it all back to current social inequalities. As well, so I mean, it's, it's, he's not just saying it's about economics or it's about ecology. He's linking it all back to all of the mm -hmm. social ills that we face, and yeah. and the vision that he's putting out there is for a society that is more just and more equal, and where economic growth is not the driver of what we're doing. You know, so yeah. so that's what's very challenging to people. So no, you're exactly right, Kira. And people are choosing. People are choosing to criticize pieces of it as opposed to looking at the whole thing I think they're same. showing themselves up in their criticism of it and that yeah. 
that lack of willingness to understand when he talks about growth and say the quality of life that people have in Ireland. Why don't we focus on growing that quality mm. versus, you know, the GDP or whatever that, you know, that kind of lack of willingness to, to even see it from that side just shows that you are stuck in that old model and that you are not trying to focus on this kind of the, the focus on the goalpost that we should be looking at versus like just this one metric. Right. Yeah, one of the takeaways from the speech that Patrick Bresnahan had was that inequality is at the heart of the ecological catastrophe and can't be a secondary consideration. And that kind of reminds me, I don't know, you know, if you've seen that cartoon of the person at the conference, the climate conference, being like, what if it's a big hoax and we create a better world for nothing? Um, That's Mm -hmm. kind of what it reminds me of, is that even if climate change wasn't a problem, there are loads of other societal problems being caused by um, our economic and political system at the moment. Yeah, and actually Owen Gallivan was very eloquent about that as well at the end of our interview with him. Um, you know, talking about how, you know, like, if you if we solve some of these problems, we'll be so much closer to nature. Mm-hmm. So, we'll yeah. Ha- we'll have a better world. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, growth... Economic growth is not going to get us out of the catastrophe. That that's go- and that's what Michael D was saying very clearly. Um, so I mean, I think I thought this speech was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because there's so much depth in it, and he was outlining a transformation that has to happen. That we need new ways of living, and then secondly, because of the reaction to it and. I didn't come across in the Irish media any deep engagement with what he was saying. Any real. Um, discussion about some of the issues he raised other than the outrage from economists which seems to me to be a reaction that just misses the point Mm -hmm. yeah 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 maybe i suppose that reaction from the economists makes people feel like they can't engage in it because it's not a topic that everyone knows about so you just automatically are like Step away from it. Which once yeah, again, yeah, it's, kinda, it's yeah. dismissive. What that it is, is com- it's dismissive because it's kind of like, eh, it's Michael D. You know, sure he's irrelevant. Yeah. And that kind of comes full circle back to what we were saying earlier about you know, the stories out there of climate breakdown that's happening in front of our eyes aren't widely known or widely shared or widely distributed. So it's still like using this economic system lens to to tell these stories and engage with these stories. Yeah. Okay. Um, shall no we? surprises, we're on the side of Michael D. Higgins. <laughs> yeah, go on, Michael D. <laughs> um, all right, shall we move on then to the stories we didn't get a chance to cover um, this week? I might start with sure. um, a sports one, uh, the Barcelona <laughs> men's team. It's such a small thing, but at the same time, it's progress. Took a train to go to a match against Getafe, <laughs> who are a team in on the outskirts of Madrid. So rather than flying to a match um, for the first time in years and years and years, it seems they took a train to, to get to the, a match. That's so. actually quite heartwarming. It's brilliant. We need, we need to see more of that. Cancels out all the extreme weather events, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We won't we won't dig in too much to Barcelona's finances or funding or sponsorship no. or anything. Um, we'll just call it a good news just, story. They took the train. It's a good news story. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Ryanair announced that they had 16 million passengers 
flying with them last month. Oh, the Irish economy is booming. <sighs> Deep sigh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but you know, it's okay. We'll platform Michael O'Leary and Ryanair and give them uncritical news coverage all the time. Um. Yeah, and on that, maybe, so we're recording this on Thursday. By the time this episode comes out, the winners of the Irish Greenwashing Awards will have been announced by Irish Ooh. EVs. So if you haven't... Do you know something we don't know about Ryanair, Dara? They're nominated, aren't they, for something? They are nominated, yeah. Jess, but I'm just wondering, do you have any sneak sneak previews, any inside scoop on who's going to win the awards? Uh, no, I don't know, but I'm really, really looking forward to seeing the winners and the results. And if you don't know what the Irish Greenwashing Awards are, it's just an initiative started by Irish EVs uh, to raise awareness about greenwashing, uh, about organisations that say they're green but actually aren't. It was started last year um, and it was just sort of a social media campaign almost of um, announcing the winners of the awards on Twitter. Uh, so it's back for a second year this year and it's just um, giving these uh, so-called awards to different people, different organisations who have been outstanding in greenwashing this year um, <laughs> to try and raise awareness of greenwashing as an issue in Ireland and the lack of regulation around it from the Advertising Standards Authority. So do check out Irish EVs on their website or on social media to find out about that whole initiative. It's really, really brilliant. Yes, I know one of Kira's favourite um, executives is nominated for CEO of the year there as well. I hope he invites me to sit at his table. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you buy. I don't think you buy tickets to that event. <laughs> but yeah, that would be good. I'm gonna um, ask Tom Spencer to get me involved, and we're gonna make millions out of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, have we any other stories there? Uh, well, yes. So one story I found interesting um, this week was some new research that talked about how you can inspire climate action. And it was in Scientific American. Now, it's, it's American research, so there's always a caveat. But um, what they found was that education is not the most um, critical for changing people's behaviour, but what is critical is social pressure. So when you see things like Barcelona taking the train, that's an example of social pressure. And mm -hmm. that apparently has the strongest effect on behavioral change. So um, that's good to know, I think. Time to get out there and start climate bullying people into things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's not climate bullying. It's setting a good example, Kira. You say setting an example, I hear bullying. But you see it, you see it, like you see it with things like like uh, solar panels or electric cars, that the biggest thing that will influence people to get these things is whether or not their friends or neighbours have them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's positive contagion. And unfortunately, that works in the other direction as well, when you see 60% of new cars being, e being SUVs. Um, but putting social pressure on um, whether positive or more active is a good thing. Yeah. They also found, though, that financial incentives work as well. So um, so things like, I suppose, the retrofitting grants or grants for EVs or just transition measures, that all works as well to drive behaviour change. Yeah. Um, 
so then on that for actions, um, was that your idea for an action out of this week to put social pressure put on social someone? social pressure on someone, someone, anyone. I'm putting <coughs> social pressure on my kids all the time, trying to get them to stop using bloody plastic, but it's impossible. Um, yeah, and just to, you know, just to get back to the basics of highlighting, you know, the things you are doing, you know, just having those conversations with people saying, oh, you know, I've started cycling and it's good for the environment and I really enjoy it too and it's quicker to get around a town on a bike or whatever. Those kind of things, <clears throat> really, really important for shifting those norms. Um, or even just saying, I'm concerned, I'm not a yep. wacko. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, definitely the concern bit is true anyways, Kira. Um, <laughs> and you have an action there as well, Kira, for the week, do you? Yes, so with, on the back of the Michael D. Higgins speech, um, I am recommending that people, anyone who feels like they kind of can't get involved in the conversation around economics, there is a brilliant episode. Um, it's a podcast called The Kindness Economy, and uh, they are interviewing a woman called Kate Raworth, who is an economist who has come up with the concept of donut economics. I won't even bother trying to explain what it is, but I will say that it's a very enjoyable episode, very easy to understand, and a very good gateway into the conversation around what Michael D. Higgins is saying. So, And she was out. actually, I believe, referenced or quoted in Michael D.'s speech oh, yes, as well. Oh, it's all good. about living within planetary boundaries. Yeah, and it's a very uplifting listen. Like, you hear economics, you think, boring. No, it's very nice. It's nice. Good. I will listen to that. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. And uh, then they are going to put a link for us in theirs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, that is it for this week. If you enjoyed tuning in, why not put some social pressure on your friends by sharing the podcast um, with someone you think might be interested? Um, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate and review the podcast as it really helps us to reach more listeners. And if you would like to support or work beyond that, you can do so through buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. That's it. Anna and Kira, thanks a million for uh, joining me this morning. Great to be back. Great to have the chats again. Yeah. Thanks, Dara. Or the weather is getting hotter and you two are as well. Woo! Jeez, I don't know if I'd say that. Are you going to sing us out, Kira? Oh, the climate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <maybe> um, <laughs> <laughs> see you all next week. Da, 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 da. Thanks, Let's Dara. Bye. Deep sigh. Oh, the climate.